Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from the risen Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this Easter sunrise service is the gospel reading. You heard, read a moment ago, St. John's account of the resurrection of our Lord, specifically these first few words of that account. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So far, our text, dear friends in our Lord Jesus. Perhaps you know that Easter greeting, he is risen, he's risen indeed. It's called the Paschal greeting. It's the customary greeting of the Easter truth that Christians have been exchanging with one another for ages. Exactly when the actual practice of exchanging the greeting began is uncertain, but but it would seem that it's really as old as the first Easter dawn itself, as the angels in the vacant tomb greeted those Christian women with that Easter news, he's, he's risen indeed. In fact, we see it in the account according to St. Matthew. Matthew writes that that angel, having descended from heaven, having rolled back the stone, said to the women, Fear not, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. And then he greets them with the news, He's risen And then he says, come, see the place where they lay him, as if to say, he's risen indeed. Look, Mark 2, in his account, writes, the women entering the tomb saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, who said to them, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. See the place where they lay him. He is risen indeed. And also Luke. Luke writes that two men in shining garments stood beside the women and spoke to them that beautiful Easter saying, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Luke writes, and then the angel says, remember what he said as if to say, he's risen indeed. The beautiful boldness of that Easter proclamation exploding from the tomb in Matthew and Mark and Luke. He's risen. He's risen indeed. But then there's John's account. Then there's John's account, which serves as this morning's Easter text. John tells of no early morning angels, mentions no supernatural resurrection proclamation. What does he write? He writes that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early and saw that the stone had been rolled away. And he then reports that she ran to tell him and Peter that Jesus' body wasn't there. And they, in turn, ran to see for themselves. And he recalls, being an eyewitness, he recalls what he saw. And he records that looking into the crypt, they saw no body there either. Just burial clothes, neatly folded, but no Jesus. And from there, John writes, they went to their homes. Where is the Easter proclamation? Where's the herald angels? He's risen indeed. Indeed, in all of John's account of the thing, all we get from the angels is not a victory proclamation. No, but a question. Only a question posed to a lingering and a confused Mary Magdalene woman. Why are you weeping? That's all. Where's the resurrection announcement of that Easter news? Silent, it would seem. So it would seem silent. We consider our account this morning and we ask, where's the announcement that Jesus Christ has conquered in the cosmic fight? Well, I tell you, 
It's written all over the circumstances of that Sunday morning scene. You see, while in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Easter angels do the Easter resurrection announcing and proclaiming, John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lets the stone roll away to the talking. Eyewitness John has the no longer occupied burial linens do the testifying. He lets the neatly folded head shroud speak for itself. John would have you tune your ear to the open mouth of the empty tomb, a mouth agape as if in awe, the tomb's mouth open as if announcing he's risen indeed. It seems the stones really do cry out. The testimony of the empty tomb encounters you too this very day, just as it did Peter and John and Mary that first Easter morn. Through the report of eyewitness John, you too are carried along in the dash, his dash to the tomb. You too behold that stone rolled away, a neatly folded burial in the empty tomb, wherein there is no doubt for the, the seal and for the guard that was placed there. There is no doubt the tomb in which Jesus once lain. You encounter it today, and it would be as irrational for any of us today to walk dismissively away from the obviously empty tomb as it would have been for Peter or John or Mary. The the circumstances that today we encounter demand a question. Demand the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well... If Jesus of Nazareth hadn't three times and more foretold of his impending death and then after three days his resurrection, it would be far easier to conclude that it simply was a grave robbery, though there was a guard posted. If eyewitnesses weren't so readily available and willing to speak of the great signs and wonders that this miracle worker Jesus had done for them, palsied limbs straightened, Muted tongues loosed, diseases expelled with a word, once dead men, now with words and breath again on their tongues and in their lungs. If these weren't so readily available and willing to speak, then it would be far easier to dismiss this unique person's now empty tomb as merely a charade. If the spear hadn't pierced Jesus' side in the centurion verified officially, that Jesus indeed had died on the cross, then one could more easily explain why Jesus wasn't in the tomb where his certifiably dead body still should be. The empty tomb. It would be far easier to discount if the very well-known and easily, easily recognizable Jesus of Nazareth was not physically seen and touched by hundreds of eyewitnesses in the days after the resurrection including, as John told us, Mary Magdalene. And women, Matthew writes, returning from the tomb that day. And Peter, later on in the day, and two men on the the Emmaus Road, records and reports Luke. That very evening, the apostles that very night, among whom Jesus ate fish with them. The apostles the week later, including Thomas, seven apostles near the Sea of Tiberias, sometime later with whom he ate breakfast. Over 500 witnesses, St. Paul tells us, at one time in Galilee. The apostles again, 
at the Mount of Olives at his ascension. Paul on the Damascus Road, and there were others, friends, convincing testimony. So much so that the well-known biblical critic DeWitt, in his last book, made this concession. He said, the fact of the resurrection, though it may be shrouded in mystery, cannot be questioned any more than the assassination of Julius Caesar. Friends, if the dead body of Jesus could have at any time been furnished and produced, the case of Christianity and its risen Lord long ago would have been closed. But the testimony of the eyewitnesses, of the stone, of the linens, of the vacant tomb, requires a far more impressive conclusion. The empty tomb that encounters you today voices, indeed it shouts, its corroborating agreement with the angelic proclamation, He's risen, indeed. And not risen, as some today would speak of resurrection, as His being raised in spirit only while His body still lies there in the ground. Or Jesus being resurrected in the collective consciousness of a devoted but somewhat delusional band, devoted band of followers, and by their repeating and remembering his life, he lives on? No. No. Resurrected, say the angels. Resurrected, says that empty tomb in the flesh. The American Pulitzer Prize-winning poet John Updike, who I understand died just a couple months ago, once put it like this. He said, make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was his body. He writes poetically, if the cell's lifelessness did not reverse, the molecules renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. St. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians. He admits as much. If Jesus didn't bodily rise again, then we who believe that he did are most to be pitied. For we are, he said, still then in our sins that condemn us. But Updike continues. He says, it was not a resurrection as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of his eleven apostles. He concludes, let us not mock God with metaphor. Analogy sidestepping transcendent, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages, let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back. Ancient scriptures foretold it. Jesus fulfilled it. The empty tomb declares it. He's risen indeed. But that truth, that Easter truth, too, demands also a question. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean for you and for me and for all that Jesus Christ did bodily rise again, that he did best death? Friends, it means very simply this. Because Jesus lives, so live also his promises. And listen to them, you who know intimately and well the tears 
in the tears of the fallout of sin in our lives. You who have been touched intimately by the change and decay that sin brings to your life, listen to his promises because Jesus lived. These promises live also when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet I promise shall he live. And those who live and believe in me shall not eternally die. He promises, I've come from heaven, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in his redeeming work may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up, I promise, on the last day. He promises that he who fears, hears my word and believes has life, eternal life, and has passed already from death to life. The night he rose again, appearing to his disciples, he said, I forg- If you forgive one his sins, I promise you they are forgiven. I will, I promise, wipe away every tear from your eyes, Scripture says. But now Christ is risen from the dead, I witness, Paul says, and has become the first fruits of those who have died in the faith, and they will therefore rise just like he rose. I promise, says the risen Christ, because I live, you shall live also. You see, as the head goes, so the members of his body Go. As Christ goes, so all who believe in what he's done for them. Now it's human nature to want to be confident and to want to be sure. Someone once observed, he said, sometime when you're in the airport, notice the difference between the passengers who hold confirmed tickets and those who are on standby. The ones with the confirmed tickets They read their newspapers and they chat with each other among the friends comfortably. They sleep. But the ones on standby hang around the ticket counter and they pace and they bite their fingernails and they shuffle their papers. The difference, he says, is in the confidence factor. Friend, rest assured and be confident. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the triune God's validation. It's your confirmation ticket. That Jesus' atoning death upon the cross is enough to pay price in full for all your life's sins and mine and for the whole world. Because scripture declares he was delivered up for our offenses and raised for our justification. And as goes our sin, so go the eternally deadly wages of them. Because Christ lives, they do not, they cannot. Today, every one of you has encountered Christ's empty tomb. With John and Peter and Mary, you too stooped and went in. And perhaps you, like it says of John, saw and believed. Perhaps, though, some are more inclined, like Mary, to linger and to ponder, not knowing just what to make of it all. Perhaps there's not John's readiness to embrace the Easter explosion of that Paschal proclamation. He's risen indeed of of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, if so, if so, then this resurrection text today, John's Easter text, it's just for you. 
just for you, it doesn't, you see, explode with angelic resurrection refrain, but it simmers. It simmers as one ponders and in his own time considers the testimony of that stone rolled away and that folded and no longer needed burial shroud in the open mouth of an empty tomb. It begins gently to bubble as one recalls what Jesus had promised to do and what evidently he's done. His word, his promise, and that empty tomb then begin to boil away and vaporize the doubt that leaves one like Mary unsure until, with a word of his, Mary. It all effervesces in the knowledge and recognition that the risen Jesus Christ stands before you, veiled though he may be, from your eyes under word and sacrament, though veiled in scripture you hear, the living voice of the living Christ, though concealed under bread and wine, he's no less present in his risen flesh and blood and holy communion. And when Mary reached out and grasped onto him outside the tomb, he lives. And because he lives, you who believe shall live also. I leave you this morning with words spoken not sometime after but some 2,000 years before that stone was rolled away. From his words, one can tell that Job knew his Redeemer to be not only his hope for a faraway tomorrow, but also his help for life's today. He wrote, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Engraved, as it were, in the stone that was rolled away, read in the folds of a shroud that outlived its use, announced by the open mouth and the Easter song of an empty tomb is the Easter proclamation. He is risen Indeed, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. A very blessed Easter to you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.